Welcome to Biteside. I'm Seamus Byrne. You may remember me from such podcasts as Biteside, which hasn't been around for the last couple of months. But joining me as Sammy always is Nick Healy. Nick, how are you? I'm really well. It's good to be back. It's really good to be back. And just really quickly, we should say, you and I are recording this on Wednesday in our respective little country towns. We're in the middle of an absolute Arctic blast. It is freezing at the moment across New South Wales. I'm looking at, and this is remarkable for Dubbo, it's about three degrees outside. Uh, Not far from me is snow falling. It's a wild time. Yeah, look, yeah, down here in the Highlands, we are, you know, at about the peak temperature for the day. At the, oh, no, it's already peaked. We're back down into the phase where it's getting colder again. Oh, boy. Um, just checking oh, the forecast. Boy. It's like, mm, yeah, past the peak for the day. So it feels like about one right now. And, um, yeah, my daughter is desperately hoping that we get some snow this evening because it's meant to rain and it's going to be less than zero. So... There's the fingers crossed. Of course, it's probably just going to be some random slush outside and it'll just be ugly for anybody in a car. My fingers are crossed for the snow. I just, I hope something beautiful comes out. I think it'll be amazing. It is a pretty good time to be thinking about sitting around and uh, watching TV tonight, though. Let's be honest. Yeah, it is. Um, And it's like, it's funny, isn't it? We've been, obviously, last year was the year that was, and there was lots of sitting around and watching things. And we will and, never you know, mention absolutely. it again. It's the year that was, and it's over, and we never yep. have to talk about 2020 ever again. Yep. And, like, you know, all the thoughts in the world to our friends in Melbourne, who hopefully will be coming out the other side of yet another lockdown shortly. Um, but it does mean it's a good time for watching stuff on TV. And I thought, you know, it has been a while and it seemed like a good chance to just catch up on what have we been watching lately? Watching, playing, doing on our TV screens. Um, because yeah, it has been a while and there's been some really good stuff around. And I've also just been catching up on stuff I missed, <laughs> but I'm curious what uh, have, has caught your eye or kept your hands on a game controller or whatever it might be over recent times. Look, I've been diving in and out a little bit. Now, I've got to admit, I kind of just went off gaming for a little bit. Now, I'm going to blame the PlayStation 5 for that because I think I'm just... So sick of refreshing the nine different store tabs that I've got open in the hope that a PlayStation 5 will become available at some point that I've kind of just chucked a bit of a tanty and had a wobbly at gaming in general. Yeah. That said... You're all to blame. Yeah, it is. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. A couple of exciting things. I actually bought a laptop that could run games, something that's slightly medium powerful, and uh, greatly enjoyed Disco Elysium. It was just as good as everyone had promised it was going to be. I've gone back a little bit. Um, Days Gone appeared as one of the free games on uh, PlayStation. And so I've been playing that, 2019's Days Gone. Uh, Of course, the... Oh, look, it's a zombie game by any other name. Call them freakers, call whatever you want. It's the apocalypse. There's zombies. Uh, you're a biker. It was not well received. And I've got to admit, I see why it is in its own way, uh, relentlessly pedestrian, baffling cutscenes, uh, dreadful voice acting. Uh, the main voice actor sounds like an absolutely bored Patrick Warburton in nearly every scene that he comes to. Um, it, it, it ramps up difficulty out of nowhere where you've been playing wonderfully for a while and then suddenly you're eaten alive by 70 freakers that you didn't see coming around a corner. 
and I can't stop. I'm I'm weirdly <laughs> enjoy for all of that. I'm really weirdly enjoying it. Lucy O'Brien talked about it being one of her favourite bad games, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Sorry, Lucy. I think you were a lot more sophisticated than that with your analysis of it. I would call it one of the great sevens. Yeah. Yep. You know, in praise yeah, of the seven, it. it is one of the great sevens. There is nothing particularly good about it, uh, but it's keeping me coming back. And and I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm going to end up playing a lot more of it. I know I'll hit a point where, I, and before end game, I can just tell by the way I'm rolling through. I'm going to hit a point before end game where I'm like, nah, I'm done. And just put yeah. the controller down and never think about it ever again, which I've done way too many times in the last year, I'm starting to wonder just really, do I enjoy gaming anymore? I think I do. But um, at the moment, days gone, keeping me company until I don't know what else is out there. Like, there's no, I mean, it can, it, it's cyberpunk playable yet? Should I buy that? Um, yeah, I, I still haven't <laughs> booted that one up. There have been updates. <laughs> um, it, it's funny. Meanwhile, you know, I heard there's a recent No Man's Sky, uh, so called. Prism update mm. is what it's called. And lots of people have been saying that, you know, this is the update that takes it to that place, which makes it almost like entirely fulfilling all the grand promises when it first came out. But, you know, and I've heard people saying it's been actually an amazing game over the last couple of years through, you know, the various updates that have come along for it. But interesting that, you know, on top of that, people are saying this latest update of that one has been so good. And it only took half about- a decade to get there. It came out in yeah. August 2016, <laughs> so congratulations. But, yeah, you know, you're talking about Days Gone. It leaps out at me because, you know, next week or, yeah, starting in coming days, we've got the whole E3 thing oh. happening, virtual E3. So I'm sure there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff to get excited about um, in our brains, you know, and, like, down the track. Um but it reminds me that Days Gone was one of those games where they let it have like an extended uh, live play mm. demo during the big Sony PlayStation keynote one time. And I do remember sitting there watching it just going, why are they giving this so much time on stage? It just, it, someone was trying to sneak around a base and, and I just remember watching it kind of going, Mm-hmm. No, I will never care about this game. <laughs> they they uh, genuinely thought it was going to be their new AAA hot property. Yeah. And then I think I then recently heard some of the devs involved basically blaming everyone, like blaming people for not buying it, for not getting a second version when, you know, totally the second time around was when they would have made it really good. Oh, Lordy. Oh, and Lordy. you're just like, yeah, don't, don't blame the shoppers. No, please don't. <laughs> Look, I don't know. It, the only thing I can see coming up, and it's not coming up to be clear, but the, the announcement that could come at E3 that would have me absolutely chomping at the bit would be a new KOTOR. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that, not going to lie, that would be amazing. That would be it. That would be genuinely it. I haven't even got around to buying the remastered Mass Effect, which I know I, I will enjoy. Um, I just It doesn't feel like that long ago since I played them. Does that make sense? Yeah. And look, Nick, that's partly because we're getting old. Yeah, so, there is a bit of that as well. Yeah, no, you know, I'll, I'll there's a lot of games around now where you go, but I was a full-fledged adult when that originally came out, so it can't be that old. And it's like, mm. <laughs> I will cop that on the chin. Now, I assume that your gaming has been almost exclusively World of Warcraft? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, that's... 
I can't even call it an accusation because it's true. Um, I've played a lot of WoW. I've played a lot of Hearthstone. Look, I'm, I'm all up in my Blizzard grill as usual. Um, the big thing that I've started messing around with actually is getting back into a bit of Magic the Gathering because one of my uh, best mates, uh, Nick, uh, we, a, a few of us caught up at his place recently. He's been really big into Magic for a long time and particularly the Commander format, which is a version where it's one of the so-called eternal formats. That means you can use all of the cards that have ever been made apart from, you know, like a very small list of banned cards. Um, but you can use any card that's ever been made, but you can only have one of any card in your entire deck and your deck is a hundred cards. So, you know, it's a lot more kind of complicated to get a really good working commander deck put together. Um, but he had a few, and so we played some four-player Commander uh, a couple of weekends ago, and I totally came away from that and went, mm, I might need to go and buy some new Magic cards because that was really fun. That's really cool. Yeah, and and in the process discovered that the local games shop, shout out to In Games, I-N-N, Games down in Mossvale. Uh, yeah, it turns out that the main format that everyone in this town, region, our little kind of neck of the highlands uh, is into is basically Commander. And so suddenly it was like, oh, so if I make a Commander deck, I could actually turn up there any weekend and get a game with someone else. So adds that extra element of going, I'm not just making this and to almost never play it. I could actually go and socialize with real people and play some rounds of this game. So yeah, uh, kind of fun and exciting to get back into that. But of course, yeah, it... Yeah, there's a lot of wallet pain attached to that game. I, I can only imagine having never really got into it and, and never quite mastered it. I remember uh, poor old Luke Lancaster trying to teach me how to play it multiple times, and I never <laughs> quite got what it was doing. While we're giving a quick shout-out, uh, DubCon is happening this weekend, the second-ever DubCon car games, tabletops, board games uh, in Dubbo. I'm actually pretty excited about it. Uh, I'm going to be chatting on the Brecky Show on ABC Western Plains on Friday morning with the guy behind it. It's only the second time they've done it. I think it's a really cool idea for a long weekend. Yeah, and, you know, I have to say the more, right, the more I like to be better down here in the islands, the more (laughs) I am sort of thinking, can I, like, help rally some troops yeah. and get a local con going? Because, yeah, like, stuff like that would be great. I've you know, recently discovered there is a bit of a uh, a tech group kind of starting to form around here and, you know, little kind of hints and, and whispers of maybe trying to get a tech hub going here in the Highlands and things. And I'm like, yes, because, God damn, you know, more people are trying to escape the city and actually, you know, enabling people to do cool things together in regional areas is just, you know, a big win for everybody. That would be absolutely amazing. Hey, thinking TV. Now, I just yeah. wrapped up Mayor of East Town, um, and it was as good as everyone was telling me it was going to be. And, and that surprises me because normally when... Your social media feeds are full of someone saying it's the latest of the great drama, HBO have made this or whatever. I get a little bit cagey and it's rarely matched the expectations. Mayor of Easttown actually blew it out of the water. I'm in love with the, the short sort of, I think it was six, seven episodes, not going where you expect it to go. Masterful acting uh, and a very weird little connection here that I think you will enjoy. The director of Mayor of Easttown, is the co-creator of Homestar Runner. 
Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought you would like that. Ah, oh, that is wonderful. <laughs> very weird. Very weird. But have you caught up on it? No. See, I've, I am going to put this down, actually, to one of the weird cases of the promo art on Foxtel totally put me off because I was just kind of looking at it going, this just looks like some weird, you know, sort of regional ennui drama. Maybe there's some vague kind of romance thing. Kate Winslet, I don't, I don't, like, it was just such a weird piece of art that I just kept going, hmm, I hear people are saying it's good, but look at that lame art. <laughs> no, I hear you on that. And, and look, to a large degree, it is regional ennui. Uh, it just happens to be very, very, very good at it. And a yeah, really <laughs> nice little little role from Guy Pearce, who kind of comes out of nowhere. And um, he's not a super important figure in there, but he's a very interesting one. It was just nice yeah, to see cool. him and Winslet acting together. And, of course, the other thing that absolutely grabbed me earlier this year was WandaVision. I think yes. Marvel hitting it out of the park with um, being able to dole out little fragments of story, letting you come along for the ride, not spoon-feeding you on the way. And and sure, there were flaws to it and maybe the payoff wasn't quite where you wanted it to be, um, but it fascinated me. I thought uh, in terms of what it was doing, playing with the form of of the narrative it was making, it was one of the most inventive things I'd seen for a while. Yeah, and I think it it just, it, like, it was great given that thinking back to that idea, this was the first time we were having, you know, Marvel television treated like the movie properties, you know, and that I've heard it said a number of times where Kevin Feige, who's executive producer across all of the, the film universe as well, um, and, you know, I guess, executive producer across, like, the comics and everything, really, for Marvel, that he entered into it saying to all of the directors and writers involved that, you know, these are, like, it's a six-hour movie. This isn't, you know, mm. we're not just treating this like it's a TV show, um, bringing the same kind of production processes as if it was, like, the the movie stuff. And so I think it was really impressive the way it was put together and also with how weird they let it you know that it it broke a lot of the rules of what we kind of thought we might get out of marvel television and i'm then excited because of course we've got loki starting tonight and i you know loved falcon and winter soldier thought again just the change of pace that it brought as well it was like if you were too weirded out by wandavision here is some core shooty shooty bang bang you know classic Marvel action stuff, but then it went to some really interesting places with, you know, the themes. Uh, and then, it, you know, I've heard sort of some of the behind-the-scenes folks saying, you know, Loki is a lot more WandaVision than Falcon and Winter Soldier. So the way that they're mixing this stuff up seems really exciting. Like, that, the director of Loki is one of the uh, directors from Sex Education. Huh. So, like... This way that they're plucking people out who've been doing interesting television in other categories entirely and then giving them the reins of stuff like this, I think is just so cool. I wish you could have seen me flinch when you mentioned Falcon and the Winter Soldier uh, because I had, despite watching it and enjoying it, 
completely forgotten that I had seen it, that it existed. It's really interesting. I remember quite enjoying it with some caveats. Um, yeah. But apparently it just went, went in one ear and out the other. It's made no impact on me whatsoever. And I find that really interesting. Some of my issues with it, if you are going to try and tell me that you're going to have a conversation about superheroes and race, then you need to deliver better than they did. Yeah. Massively yeah. so. Yeah. Don't don't tempt me with it. Don't say that you're going to attack this properly and then not deliver. And I don't know, it just it just raised some weird questions here and there. Like, you know, does Sam work for the government? If not, why does he keep being in government planes? If he does work for the government, then who does the new Captain America for, work for? Why don't they take back everything that he owns and stop him being a superhero? Why is he being able to operate as a foreign entity, on as a US entity on foreign soil? It just... And don't promise me, Baron Zemo, don't show me that mask and then have him slap it on for under seven seconds of time inexplicably. Like, he didn't need to put it on, thought he did, yeah. and then dance along <laughs> uh, a couple of bloody pa- uh, shipping crates. I mean, uh, mm, mm. I think I'm remembering now why I forgot it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Um, look, what, what else? I caught up on Mythic Quest because I had not seen the first series. I haven't finished I haven't finished it yet. We've been like, and I think partly why I haven't watched Mirror of East Down as well has been um, just doing lots of, you know, viewing stuff with the family at the moment. And so that's where things like Mythic Quest have become a really good thing to catch up on. Um, watching, what else? We're watching Sweet Tooth at the moment, which I think is pretty brand new on Netflix. Mm. That's pretty fun. It's really kind of nice. We're still partway through it, so I haven't finished that one. Um, but I totally missed the whole Mythic Questing the first time around, and it is kind of nuts how that fifth episode, uh, A Dark Quiet Death, is this incredible piece of television that's totally this weird standalone episode. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, I have not. Yeah, so it's kind of in the midst of this show that... Um, you know, it's all about a game development studio. Um, there's this just one-off episode starring, man, I'm going to have to look it up because they're two of the best. Oh, also, a shout-out to Catherine Kahn in WandaVision as well. My God. Oh, oh, so good. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mythic Quest. Um, <laughs> Wait, is the internet still down? Are you actually able to Google? Um, no, I, I have internet. Uh, and, yeah, right? Is like, is IMD on Fastly? Uh <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay, I found it. Um, we have, well, uh, Kristen Melotti, Amiliotti. Yeah. Um, and she's totally awesome. And, and then what's his face? Oh my God, I can't believe it. Uh, and, uh, Jake Johnson. Uh, they're just like in this one off episode, um, which kind of looks at the way that they sort of came together to make games in the 90s and the rise and fall of kind of this, well, the rise and rise in a sense of this game studio that they made together and the way in which it changes their relationship because it starts as like this indie game and then it gets some success and then the success leads to needing to make compromises and like the big studio that owns them now starts to kind of keep 
enforcing changes. And I remember at the time it came out seeing lots of our game dev friends kind of talking about how it just felt so honest and real to that whole question of what are you trying to make and are you holding to the ideals of what you're trying to make while also accepting that you should make some compromises in the name of success along the way, but holding onto the right things. And it was just this magical one-off episode that had nothing to do with the rest of the series. And season two is out now, and I've just recently heard people started talking about the fact that there's another similar episode in the second season. And, like, why have they done this? Just in the middle of this weird, quirky show that, you know, is kind of crass, but in a, you know, in a kind of positive way, um, then has these just beautiful one-shot episodes about game development in the middle. I will watch it. But what is really interesting is that I've only started hearing about it in the last day or two. Like, that, I've never heard of it before. A few people have been ranting about it on Twitter in the last day or two. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I genuinely, and suddenly everyone's like, Mythic Quest, I, I'm not being funny. I actually yeah. thought it was some kind of Twitch stream. I did not realise it was a oh. TV show. Yeah, it is uh, one of the Apple TV Plus kind of fancy Well, shows. that might explain a little bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, that might explain a little bit. Right, cool. Yeah. yeah. How's that working look, out for you, so Apple that's Plus? that's kind of everything I've pretty much been watching lately. I haven't been to the cinema. No, Did I haven't I, gone I think, back to the cinema I have seen one all. thing, and I can't remember what it was. That's how good it was. I lie. I absolutely lie. I went and watched Monster Hunter World in the cinema while very hungover, and it was exactly what I dreamed it would be. Um, <laughs> nice. I've never played a Monster Hunter game in my life. I knew enough to know that they were being absolutely slavishly accurate to the games, even when it would mean absolutely nothing to most of the audience. And I genuinely appreciated how nuts it was. Um, and I'll never watch it again. Uh, but boy, it was heaps of fun. Oh, that's fantastic, though. Um, I mean, yeah, that's... I know my kids have been a couple of times and we're into that phase of our lives where, you know, Kids can kind of go and just hang out with their friends at the cinema. Oh, and no. we don't even have to oh, be there. No. It's really nice. Is it nice or is it terrifying? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a bit terrifying <laughs> at the same time. Look, you know what I actually remember? And I think it's partly one of those moments where I'm like, yep, yeah, this is going to be kind of one of those last really big, beautiful moments with Endgame. And I think it was part of why I have such a great personal sort of feeling of that first 10 years of Marvel cinema was, you know, going from Iron Man through to Endgame. Literally that 10-year arc was kind of, you know, my kids starting to grow up and being from literal, you know, babies through to being, you know, tweens. And the fact that when we went to see Endgame, my you know son saw some mates were there and he wanted to go and sit with them. And I went, no, we're doing this one together. <laughs> that is nice. And it was just that feeling where you're like, yeah, this is that bookend on such a kind of great thing of having been able to go to all these movies, bringing up the kids, making them into the little cool nerds that they have become. But going, 
we're sitting here watching this one together because this is like the end of this journey. And I know as well that after this one, yeah, you'll be sitting with your mates and not really particularly worried about <laughs> what I'm interested in watching. No, I'm really happy about that. Um, I, it was an interesting 10 years. I, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but I remember sitting beside David Hollingworth. Uh, we'd got a, a screener to see Iron Man. I was expecting nothing. I'd been to so many superhero things. I'd covered the Fantastic Four when they were in town, like all of the actors, and yeah. uh, what a disaster it was. You know, I'd seen Blade 3 in the cinema. Anyway, we, we watched it, and I turned to him afterwards, and I said, was that good? Like, I, I, I had no context for the fact that it might have actually been a pretty good film. And he was like, I think it was. And there we yeah. go. Like, that was what kicked off. And I didn't have any confidence that I could follow through. And, yeah, there's arguments to be made that Endgame was not the follow-through it deserved, but there have been a lot of great movies in that time period. Yeah. And one of the things I think doesn't get enough respect over that whole course, here we are in this kind of weird little you know, rabbit hole, but mm -hmm. I love it, um, is the fact that Marvel had sold the rights to its biggest franchises. You know, so all the X-Men stuff, all the Spider-Man stuff, um, yeah, Fantastic Four, like all of its big, the most, yeah, the biggest selling comics had all been, yeah, had the rights sold elsewhere. So when they kicked things off with Iron Man and then, you know, Hulk and Captain America and sort of doing those early films, this was stuff where they were going, well, yeah, these are the, the best of what's left over, and we're going to build towards doing Avengers, which is kind of the the other team that isn't X Men, and you know we'll we'll see what we can do. But it was just, I think, such a testament to the fact that you know here's characters that most people in the world didn't really care about at that point, and then they started building these mega franchises that obviously then helped the comic side of you know their their world as well. But like that really was sort of an achievement given that the stuff everybody knew was the stuff that was still being kind of done you know, pretty poorly um, by other film studios. It, it's a really good point. I was a Marvel collector. If it had the word mutant in it, I, I owned it. I went out of my way to get it. I've got a huge run of Claremont's X-Men. It is just fabulous. And I knew the Avengers, but the Avengers, when I was reading it, was Captain America, Namor, Namorita, Thor, the Black Knight, and Doc Druid. And I haven't seen a lot of those come into the <laughs> movies somewhat unsurprisingly. And I collected all of Solo Avengers. So West Coast Avengers was its own thing yeah. back then, run by Hawkeye. And um, he was great. I cannot stand him in the movies, but the character in the <laughs> comics was fabulous. Yeah. Look, I, we've dug a good hole for ourselves. Well, we've but, rabbited our way through that. Yeah. That was amazing. Um, Let's quickly catch up on a couple of things that have been going on in recent days because, you know, there's the grand sweep for the last six months. Hey, if you're also listening to this and you have highlights of the first half of the year, ping us, ask at biteside.com or just via at biteside on Twitter. Tell us what you've been falling in love with through the first half of the year because we are keen to hear. Very. Um, but, yeah, this week, because we've mentioned, I guess, E3 is coming up in the next few 
days. I get really confused about what dates it's actually running. Um, but it is that kind of weird season. Last week was like Computex, which was virtual oh. this year because Taiwan is currently in lockdown. Can I just say um, that one of my Facebook memories was actually of you trying to desperately fit a first generation HTC Vive headset into your luggage <laughs> that you bought in Taiwan. You'd taken a half hour cab ride to somewhere in Taiwan to buy this vibe that wasn't available in Australia. And then we were contemplating, you were contemplating having to leave some of your clothes yes. in the country to be able to take it back through. Yeah, I was looking at which of these clothes are, are kind of done and I could just abandon here in the name of fitting my new vibe into my bag. Yep. So good. So um, good. Yeah, but that's it. So Computex has been on. This week is Apple's WWDC, which is their developer conference, oh. um, also happening in a virtual context this year. And we had kind of the big keynote, which, you know, for the last year, obviously, Apple's been doing as these, you know, uh, slick video events type things that you just watch the video. Um, but, yeah, there were some really cool Things that were mentioned, because obviously this is the software update side of things. There's no hardware announced. I do always find it funny when people get disappointed at the end of the uh, WWDC keynote going, oh, but the rumor said we were going to get a new MacBook. And I'm like, when was the last time they announced new hardware at this event? They make it pretty clear. Like, you know, yeah. yeah, they're not one for kind of throwing you out that way. That's for sure. Yeah. And, you know, and especially in this context, it's even easier for them to go, yeah, and we'll like do another video event in August and we'll do another video event in September because we don't have to fly, you know, a hundred journalists from around the world to come here for one special thing. So I think they've gotten comfortable doing a few more of them, at least at the moment. Um, but the really cool things that I think jumped out at me was. Obviously, yeah, all the updates, iOS 15, iPad, Mac OS, all that stuff. But there's a whole bunch of updates coming for FaceTime, which is Apple's Apple's version. <clears throat> excuse me, Apple's version of putting together, um, uh, you know, messaging and calling uh, that happens only between people who own iPhones. There's an update coming that means you'll be able to schedule a FaceTime call, send people a link, and that will in- and that will let people on Android or on a desktop be able to join the call. So it's almost an opening up of that ecosystem and a way to kind of use it for meetings and other kinds of uh, things and not just as this sort of video calling system mm. or you know, messaging system that it currently is. Um, but the really cool side of that one was that they've announced SharePlay and it's going to be in, you know, an API. So it means that developers will be able to integrate into SharePlay. And that will mean you'll be able to do more synchronized activities between different people via FaceTime. So, you know, if I know you're an Android person, but, you know, if you were using an iPhone and I called you on FaceTime, I might be able to go, oh, here's this song, check it out. And then literally it would feed it through to you via like Apple Music and it would synchronize both of us playing it simultaneously so that we can actually be listening to the music together at exactly the same time, not weirdly desynchronized, anything like that. And they're also partnering with Disney Plus and a bunch of the other uh, video services to do synchronized uh, video watching, which is just one of those things that we kind of saw a few people trying to mess with it a bit last year. A lot of it is like a web browser plug-in technology. 
the fact that they're trying to make this into an API that seamlessly integrates into the iPhone so that people could do all sorts of things in a synchronized fashion using this kind of tech is just one of those things that I'm like, please, I'd love to see. You. This is one of those features I'm like, please, you know, let's see Android do a similar kind of thing through whatever Google backend because it's something that never quite happened properly last year. And it was almost like that education in latency issues and, and different things that just means if it's not perfectly synchronized, you can tell instantly and then it's broken. Um but this was one that really jumped out at me. Is really cool. That is really, really cool. Um, and, and again, it's one of those things that, you know, I didn't know I needed that. But hang on, that's actually going to make a genuine difference. Yeah. And, and because of the way it sort of sets it up, um, you know, with all the other sort of ways that the Apple stuff is integrated, you know, within their own ecosystem, you would be able to do something like, okay, we're watching this thing on my phone. But I could then also say, do the AirPlay thing up to my TV so that I can keep watching this, you know, this show or movie or just video clip, whatever the thing happens to be, I could send it to my TV rather than having to keep it on the phone. But then on the phone, I'm still in the call with the person that I'm chatting with. And likewise, they could do the same thing, throw it up to their TV. So it's one of those actually examples where, because I guess through the first half of this year, the whole fight between Apple and developers and you're having essentially regulatory cases starting to happen about their control over the App Store. This is the kind of stuff where it's like, this is the thing that Apple is really good at doing because of that tight integration. But in a lot of respects, it's like it needs to be so careful of other fights over things like, you know, we must have 30% of every in-app purchase that ever happens on our App Store because it's our right to have that money that stuff could end up bringing them unstuck over on the other side if regulators say, you've got too much control, therefore you have to break some of that control and ends up actually meaning tools like this might not end up working properly. So I'm like, please, Apple, be careful in this dance over the money and not end up losing some of this other stuff mm. that is what's good about how you know, Apple stuff works. Was there anything else that we've seen already from WWDC? Um, there's, you know, definitely, uh, heaps and heaps of stuff, heaps more privacy stuff. They like clever little things like the next update of, of the mail software will actually stop tracking pixels from working. So, you know, if when someone sends you, you know, like marketing messages, um, they won't secretly know that you did or did not open it. Oh, wow. Well, that I guess they'll just it. always think you never opened it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it will also hide your IP address in Safari if you want to so that, again, no kind of, you know, third-party tracking of you moving around the internet can happen based on your IP address. So, like, lots of little changes on privacy that are actually going to have a big impact. Um, spatial audio is the other really good one because when they introduced the AirPods uh, and they introduced spatial audio for it, it, I remember when it launched, it was, like, weird that it wouldn't work with Apple TV because it seemed like a perfect fit. That's going to be an update that means I think you kind of have to set up your living room, but it's really just a case, I think, of saying that's where the TV is and then it will be able to say, okay, now with the headphones on, you will get full surround sound experience with spatial audio sitting in front of your TV so that you don't you know, disturb the rest of the house running Dolby Atmos or whatever. Um, so those kinds of things have been really good. And I think the last one that's more of a future thing is they're doing really clever AR preparation tech. So... 
um, object scanning so that, you know, like I think it's called fr- photogrammetry. I'm, I'm saying that wrong, I'm sure. sure. Um, but it's basically being able to say, take a bunch of photos of an object. And then again, this is one of those API type things to help developers say, yep, take those photos and we'll be able to spit, spin that out into a 3D object for use in augmented reality. But hang, on, um, hang on, hang on. Have we not seen that? Have you and I not sat down while Windows Phone explained that technology to us five years ago? Is that not Google's Tango that was meant to be in Lenovo phones in 2016? Yeah, totally. And here, like, this is the weird thing where it's like, why is it not... Yeah, like why it hasn't taken root on those other platforms. In part, I do kind of feel like it might be that, well, yeah, Windows Phone was Windows Phone, <laughs> but yeah, the way that, that the integrated, you know, the way it's been integrated into the operating system might not be smooth enough for developers to genuinely use it. Where that's definitely a thing that Apple's been good at is yeah. giving that kind of a tool to developers and you do see it get adopted. So. Um, one of the other demos they did was for an Apple Maps update that's coming is that you will be able to basically, you know, if you're trying to get walking directions to go somewhere and you're in a city, you'll be able to, you know, you're looking at the map, you'll be able to pick up the camera and just move the camera around the environment you're in and it will then triangulate where you are and then put aug- augmented reality directions onto the screen in like not just a, you know, because I've seen so the arrow mode in Google Maps, if you're using it that style, like this is a like giant floating arrow with the name of the street on it pointing down the street you should take next. Um, it's that thing where we've known for a while now that Apple's been secretly working on a big augmented reality project with glasses potentially. And I think all these things are those baby steps of getting those next sets of tools in just the right place so that by the time they're ready to launch those glasses, the developers already have everything they need to actually use them well, which obviously has been the big issue with any of these technologies when you know people have tried to kind of push out those version ones so far. Is it's like that's all well and good, but what can I do with it? Oh, there's not really anything. You know, for it it's yet. gonna be yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's anyway, the, that's, the, a, that's a good quick rundown. The AR mapping you're talking about was, again, exactly what Tango was promising. This was the last CES in Vegas I ever went to, uh, which is years ago now. It's got to be five, six years. And they were talking about how it would be AR mapping, potentially while indoors you're trying to find a shop in a shopping centre. They would be able to give you that mapping data via AR, and it kind of just went nowhere. And it would be a very Apple move. It'd be like bringing out the iPad and it being crazy successful and everyone saying, why haven't we had tablets before and Windows tablets going, oh, actually, we've been here for quite a while. Thank you very much. For them to be able to bring out glasses and for everyone to say, why didn't we have these before? And for Google Glass to kind of go, oh, no, we're not even going to bother. (laughs) And look, I did just look it up. So Google uh, Project Tango, it uh, shut down in 2017 because they said their AR core technology uh, was basically the thing that took over from there, and that it, you know, that there's a lot of the augmented reality tech from that built into Android, I guess, at this point. But I think it might be one of those cases where, you know, I mean, apart from Pokemon Go, just you know, letting you do all the kind of fun things. And that's that one example of being able to flick a switch on AR and go, look, there's my Pokemon walking down the street. Um, I think 
there's so much to be said for the fact that Apple is the place where developers actually make money. Yeah. You know, there's that classic kind of uh, back and forth there where mostly on Android, you know, apart from core apps like, you know, music apps and you know, all that kind of stuff, that it is very hard for developers to convince users to, you know, buy an app at a premium price of some kind. And, you know, there's certainly most of it is all, you know, free apps within app purchases over on Apple, but the average revenue per user on iPhone is a lot more than on Android. And so there's that classic issue of, you know, what does it take to build a great app? Often it takes a willingness for people to pay you money for it so that you can keep working on it. And so maybe, you know, so far it's probably, you know, clever art experiment toys and things on Android versus, you know, at some point someone finally cracking the code on it over on the other side and making some money. No, look, it's a really good point. And look, Apple have done incredibly well with that over the years. And, um, you know, fair play to them. I'll be very interested. If they can make some kind of AR glasses work, I am going to be fascinated. I cannot wait to see what they do. Yeah. And I'm sure when they launch, they're going to be expensive as all hell. That'll be part of the cachet for owning them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they will hopefully look better than... <laughs> Google Glass did, and Snap Glasses did. Oh, I'd forgotten all about Snap. So, yeah, look, we've seen so many things come and go in, in not that long a time. Yeah, all right, let's see what happens. I, I don't know. You know, I think until it's a contact lens I can pop in, I don't know how interested I'm going to be for quite a while outside yeah. of actual, you know, we've seen those promises and they've been amazing. What was Microsoft's one called? A Forgotten. HoloLens. Microsoft HoloLens. Do you remember some of the um, videos they were showing where it was someone trying to fix an engine and they put the HoloLens on and suddenly all the bits that they needed to know were like lit up in their vision and they could see the replacement parts matching up on the ground around them. That's amazing. That. Yeah. Where is that? I mean, yeah, I, I can honestly say that is a thing in a sense that I did a webinar with Microsoft <laughs> Late last year, talking to people over at a BHP uh, mining site who turned FIFO into what they called RIRO because it was remote in, remote out through HoloLens to help people fix trucks, um, which was kind of epic and amazing to get to talk to them about that at the time. But, you know, it's definitely not still not quite there for, you know, average Joe in his own garage who just wants to call his, you know, make down the workshop for, for a bit of help. I, I know. And I want it to be here. I, I'm, I'm sick of technology yeah. being mastered, uh, in, oh God, I'm going to sound like a lunatic here, but you know, my, the thing that scares me the most is that we will get something like AR glasses that are really functional, uh, work incredibly well. And they'll be used in, I don't know, an Amazon warehouse to further automate a human workforce and dehumanize yes. them. That suddenly you don't even need to think anymore. You're just following the arrows that the, happen in your vision and picking up the box that's been highlighted in yellow like it's Deus Ex, and, but you're not actually having any fun while you do it. I'm terrified <laughs> yeah. of that. I'm absolutely terrified of that. And people be like, why don't we get a robot to do it? It's like, because mm, the robot can't quite use its hands to get the thing off the shelf as well as a human. <laughs> So we'd just rather make humans act a lot more like robots. People are more replaceable than humans, uh, than robots. That's the issue we've got here. Um, look, we're getting pretty depressing here. Do we want to quickly cover, it's nearly old news now, but of course, if you were trying to be on the internet last night, you weren't. 
Fastly fell over. You know Fastly, Seamus, the 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 group we'd all heard of. <laughs> yeah, I learned what Fastly was about uh, twenty minutes after this whole thing started. Um, is it not incredible that a, a a service provider you have never heard of can break the internet? But that's like I kind of in my write up of the whole thing last night. I'm like, that's the beauty of a company like Fastly. They are the roadie of the internet. They want to just wear their theatre blacks. They want to go about their business and they want no one to notice they even exist. They just want to keep it working smoothly. Nothing cutting out. No weird, you know, blips in the speakers on the stage. So the fact that this happened at all, I'm like, yeah, this is one of those cases where they're like, God damn it, everybody knows who we are now. (laughs) It's wild. It's interesting to see a potential attack point exposed so randomly. Yeah. And look, it's something I found weird in some of the coverage of the whole thing because, of course, yeah, I saw one headline saying, could this happen again? And you're like, yes, because that's that's the knife edge that the internet lives on. Um, Especially, you know, I think this, you know, was particularly notable because, again, we've all sort of realised how critical the internet has been over the past year that I think people suddenly seeing a moment like this where it's like, what do you mean Amazon and BuzzFeed and the BBC and Reddit and like all these major websites all have the same potential point of failure through this? Um, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, an Amazon um, server, you know, one of their AWS locations fell over and a whole bunch of other websites went offline for a while, which, you know, was another one of those moments like, really? Like, that's how the infrastructure works? And it's kind of like, yeah, in the end, these things are on computers and stuff. And if, if something goes wrong, it's like the weird one with a CDN is that it's all about actually distributing the the network information so that, you know, like me buying something from Amazon, I don't need to know what's the local address for Amazon. Obviously, it's amazon.com.au, but I don't have to, like, find some special version of the address to know I'm going to bounce through a Sydney server to get it faster. It's like that's what the CDN does. It worries about where I am and routing it appropriately. And it's just kind of weird that it even can go wrong because, you know, it's like, well, yep, it just failed to finish the address properly all of a sudden. But at the same time, it was over within two hours. And I think that's where it's almost like, well, I know it was it was a panic at the time, but I'm kind of imagining you were probably already in bed and you didn't even know about it until this morning. Look, I wasn't. I've got some guests at the moment, but I wasn't oh, okay. I wasn't trying to do the use the uh, do the internet. Oh my god, I've got so old. <laughs> I wasn't trying to use any online services. I was sitting in front of a fire drinking red wine, having a chat, and then someone said, Oh, by the way, the internet's down. I'm like, Really? And they're like, No, nah, it's back up. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> that yeah. was it. That was the entire experience for me. Still weird, right? That Amazon doesn't do this thing itself, that even something the size of Amazon is using Fastly for CDN. Yeah, it it is. And it is the kind of thing where it almost makes you think, oh, God, does this mean Amazon's going to go, you know what, we're going to build our own CDN and now we're going to, like, there's another service we can sell. heard a great description recently of the fact that Amazon is the best company ever at turning all of its cost centers into profit centers. 
You know, you're like, here's a company that was all about selling stuff. And then I went, geez, we need a lot of warehouses to sell stuff. Hey, what if we were able to kind of rent access to our warehouses and like just do shipping for, uh, for, you know, people so that we're selling all their stuff, but also they now pay us to store their things in our locations because we can distribute it faster. And then, oh, hey, we need lots of servers around the world to be able to run. What if we just rent access to our servers so that you know, it's like they really have come up with all these ways to turn things that normally just cost a company money into things it can make money off. I would entirely... Imagine a year from now, they might go, AWS now also has its own content distribution network. Look, it's only going to get worse when Jeff Bezos returns from space, having been bombarded by cosmic rays. Oh, my God. I didn't (laughs) think about the fact that he could become our uh, Reed Richards. I was thinking more Doctor Doom from the second movie. (laughs) But sure, where are we going to go with that? Shall we wrap it up, Seamus Byrne? Let's wrap it up. Nick, good to catch up. Where can people find you and your stuff? Uh, look, most of the time these days you will just hear me on radio. If you are travelling through Dubbo or the western part of New South Wales, tune in to the Brecky Show on ABC Western Plains. You can find it on the ABC Listen app as well. If you uh, want to see something that's almost evolved exclusively into cat pictures, try my Twitter. I am at dr underscore nic, at Dr Nick. Awesome. Um, we will be rotating guests uh, on a regular basis uh, on Biteside. Now we are sort of back and we'll have Nick back again very soon. Uh, you can find all the rest of our stuff at Biteside.com, of course. Also, we now have our daily podcast, which is Bits, which gets you caught up on the day's headlines in about four minutes. And our newsletter has also gone daily. I hate calling it a newsletter now. I prefer to call it a bulletin. For some reason, I just don't like the idea of calling it a newsletter. If you want to get really, fa- if you want to get really fancy and and act like you're you're kind of in the media, it's a bully. It's not even a bulletin. Oh, I love it. Today's bully. Get the daily bite side bully. Love it. Yep. Uh, and you can of course get that at biteside.com as well, and follow us at biteside on Twitter. We have a cool competition running at the moment as well, where you can win some hot sauce. Uh, which is the official hot source of oblivion from the Elder Scrolls Online. Uh, and you can find that over on our website as well. I'm it's not going to lie, just... before you asked me to come back on the podcast, I did enter because I'm really excited about I realise I've just killed my own entry now, but I did oh, I actually you. enter well, that. I was very excited. <laughs> yeah, it would be weird if I drew you <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, it would. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so you can go and check that out and win that. And of course, yeah, all the other things. Come back, subscribe via your favorite podcast apps, all that jazz, and we'll catch you again soon. <laughs>